Guys, you've heard me talk about my friends at Simply Earth. I love these guys. I love this company. I love what they stand for. They're here to help you make the air in your home toxin-free, but they're also on a mission to change the world by helping to end human trafficking. How can essential oils do both of those things? I'm about to tell you. Before Simply Earth's essential oil recipe box, I really had no idea how to use essential oils. I just knew I wanted the air in my home and on our tour bus to be toxin-free, trying to live a healthy life as much as possible in as many ways as possible. Well, here is what the solution is. The Simply Earth Essential Oil Recipe Box helps you gain confidence and clarity in using essential oils to help make your home toxin-free. Here's how it works. You receive the recipe box with four pure essential oils, six recipe cards, and extras. Learn how to use your essential oils while making the recipes created by certified aromatherapists. You save money and you detoxify your life. Plus, you're buying from a company that changes the world. Simply Earth gives 13% of all profits to end human trafficking around the world. That's right. 13% of all profits go to end human trafficking around the world. So when you buy from Simply Earth, you're making a difference in more ways than one. It's like a meal subscription kit, but it's more fun and it's less edible. I think you're going to love detoxifying your home and being a part of changing other people's lives. So be sure to check this out. Using essential oils to support your wellness doesn't have to be overwhelming, all right? The essential oils alone here would cost over $100 from other companies, but with Simply Earth Essential Oil Recipe Box, you get four pure oils, six recipes, and extra ingredients for only $39. When you subscribe, you'll also get a free big bonus box with even more natural goodies. So here's what I want you to do. Go to our URL, which is simplyearth.com slash West. And when you sign up, you're going to receive a free 80 milliliter essential oil diffuser when you subscribe using the URL simplyearth.com slash West. Again, that's a free 80 milliliter essential oil diffuser when you subscribe using our URL simplyearth.com slash West. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Matthew West Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew West, and as always, I really hope you like it. Um, Fresh off of a trip to New York City. Is my voice sounding different? Hey, 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 hey. Just got back from New York. Forget about it, huh? You want a slice? (laughs) Okay. That's not my real voice. That's called acting. I hope you had a great Father's Day weekend. I had a memorable one at that. I was given the opportunity, uh, invited to travel to New York and perform on Fox and Friends on Father's Day morning, a very special song with a very special person. Before you ask her, I sang that song with my daughter Lulu West on national television on Fox um, Sunday morning. Had an incredible time. We were actually supposed to be on our family vacation in Florida. And then when I got the invitation to travel and sing on Fox, I talked to my girls and I said, this is up to you because this is family time. So do you want to stay in Florida or would you want to go to New York for a couple days and uh, split up our vacation? They picked New York and I quickly realized it was because of the shopping that they intended to do. So that was very painful. But we had an incredible time just roaming around the city. One day we walked over 10 miles. I mean, we just walked. And I went into dad mode. The girls got mad at me, actually, because I would, I didn't realize this about me, but I would like, I was motoring, like I was racing through the people and stuff like that. And I thought they were keeping up with me. So 
So my wife had to say, hey, you know, slow it down, slow it down a little bit. But I was trying to get to the next pizza restaurant as fast as I could. We ate some good food. Oh, man. Some of my big takeaways of, of New York City. Here, here they are. All right. Well, so for starters, the last time I was in New York was actually February of 2020. Do you remember that year? Let's not. I was getting ready to release a brand new album called Brand New. It was filled with all the hope and anticipation of, of a new year and a new decade. And uh, that's why I called it Brand New. I thought, 2020, this is going to be the best year ever. Worst year ever, right? I was way off. But my wife and I went to New York then, literally just a couple weeks before the world shut down. We had no idea what was about to happen. So we were just carefree and in New York. My band was there. We did a special performance in YouTube studios in the meatpacking district uh, in Chelsea in New York City. And you can actually see those performances on my YouTube page, by the way. Some cool, like, stripped-down band performances of songs from that record. Highly recommend it. But we saw a Broadway musical my wife and I did, had a good meal, all that stuff. And then we came home, and then the world shut down. And so here we are three years later right? Back in New York City. And it was actually really neat to be back after such a long time. The city seems like it's changed a lot, for sure. It seems like it's come back from the pandemic, though. I noticed the strong smell of weed on every corner. I mean, like, every corner. I mean, every block. Usually, I remember walking through the streets in New York City, and you'd smell food trucks. You'd get a smell of, you know, some some sort of like you know a hot dog stand and then you get a smell of pizza of course there's a smell of urine <laughs> sorry to gross you out today but it's true but this time the predominant scent that filled the nostrils stung the nostrils if you will was weed and i just kept telling my daughters like do not inhale <laughs> no. uh it was just weird it's a little weird so new york's an interesting place we saw a musical, we had dinner, we shopped, and then got to sing on Fox News and uh, had a great time. What a special memory on Father's Day to get to sing a song with my daughter. Just such a neat thing. So thanks to my friends at Fox for inviting me, for being so hospitable, and for giving us a chance to, to make a memory as a family. So, And those are my pointers. If you ever go to New York City, uh, have a great time. Just don't breathe in, okay? <laughs> oh, I found, I ate pizza from like different regions too, but I'm, I'm not going to waste your time with that. Anyways, I'm a little bit of a foodie, if you didn't know that about me already. Just trying to eat a little less foodie these days, you know what I'm saying? Came back from New York, jumped right into a songwriting retreat. Can't tell you about it entirely yet, but a lot of new songs. I want to highlight right now, though, uh, my friend Cochran, Michael Cochran and co. We've got a song called Running Home that we wrote together. That's number one for the third week in a row on the Billboard Airplay charts for Christian music. So congrats to my buddy. Trying to get him on the podcast. Hopefully we'll get to do that soon. I uh, want to give a shout out to my friends Big Daddy Weave, Mike Weaver. We wrote a song together called Heaven Changes Everything that's climbing up the charts right now. I love that song so much. And I just wanted to tell you about it so you can go listen to it. I think I'm going to try to have Mike on the podcast as well. So that's some good stuff that's going on these days. Also, I think I mentioned to you, my good friend Ann Wilson released a song that we wrote together called 7th of June, 
a tribute to her brother who uh, passed away in a car accident actually on the 7th of June. A very beautiful and moving tribute to her brother. And I would recommend that you go to Anne's YouTube page and uh, watch the uh, music video for that song. It's incredibly moving. And get your tissues ready. So that's what's going on in our world right now. Um, I want to tell you what's coming up, though. Come Home for Christmas is coming up, my friends. A special weekend in Nashville and Franklin, Tennessee, December 1st through the 3rd. I'm inviting a select group of people to come and join me uh, and ring in the Christmas season right after Thanksgiving. If you've ever wanted to visit Tennessee, come and hang with me and the West family. We've got a special Christmas concert planned for you, special Christmas dinner, meet and greets, a songwriting round, um, a live podcast interview. It is going to be so much fun. Lots of surprises, lots of special guests. And uh, I want you to come and spend the weekend with me. Um, I uh, host the annual Christmas tree lighting downtown Franklin, Tennessee. So you're going to get to be part of that. It's just magical. It's whimsical. It's amazing. Even my dog Rocky agrees. That's why he's barking. So uh, go to MatthewWest.com today, would you? Uh, tickets are going pretty fast on that. So um, if you're looking for the perfect Christmas gift, you want to get your Christmas shopping done early, want to get that big gift for that special someone. A lot of people come, you know, uh, couples celebrating their anniversary. We had one couple get engaged during the weekend last year. Um, you might want to bring your kids. Families are welcome. It's just uh, if you're by yourself and you want to meet some new people, lots of community gets built. It's going to be awesome. I hope you'll join us for Come Home for Christmas 2023, the second annual, mind you. Let's see what else, what else. Um, oh, man, there's so many things that I want to tell you right now that I can't tell you, but I'm working on some stuff. I'm working on some stuff, okay? Let's just say I've been typing. I've been typing. That's a hint. What would I be typing? I don't know. What do you think? Hey, here's what I want to do today. I got to uh, run into my friend Dallas Jenkins during the Kayla Fan Awards, and we got to catch up. And I loved talking with him. We, we probably spent about an hour catching up. And he was telling me all, all about the latest things with the, the TV series, The Chosen. Of course, Dallas is the creator of The Chosen. And incredible things are happening. I hope you've been watching it. And I hope you follow along because it's an amazing, amazing uh, thing that they're building and story that they're telling. Of course, the greatest story ever told, right? And so... Sometimes I, I feel like I do these podcast episodes every week and they come and go and they go so fast and some of my favorite conversations can get a little bit lost in, in the mix there. So today I want to do sort of an in case you missed it or a little bit of a summer rewind, if you will. And I want to go back to this first conversation that I got to have with my friend Dallas Jenkins. And uh, I want to make sure that you get a chance to, to hear what he has to say. A powerful story overcoming rejection and uh, seeing things come full circle in your life. And uh, maybe it'll even add some layers of depth as you go and watch the TV series, The Chosen, after having listened to this conversation with my friend. So without further ado, let's go to the story house with Dallas Jenkins. I'm used to people, uh, you know, just kind of tuning out. I've got two daughters, so I, if you looked away, it wouldn't surprise me. If you were checking well, text messages. <laughs> yeah. And I can't imagine you're not some form of ADD or ADHD oh, yourself. So let's start there, actually. Um, you just uh, accused me, or not, you didn't accuse me of being ADD, but you, you're making a, a hypothesis, if you will, that me being a musician, that I might have some form of ADD. Is that, 
Are you speaking from experience yourself? I'm speaking from experience with 98.7% of all the musicians that I've been friends with. I'm uh, speaking with experience of my own self, okay. uh, recognizing the signs. And then I'm speaking with experience of having listened to some of your podcast and watched you on stage at the Kayla Fan Awards and all of the above and going, I'm going to take a wild shot in the dark here. And... Uh, and say, and say that this guy's all over the place. He's got some traces of it. I'm just, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I don't think it's a, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school to, to assert that this might be the case. Well, I just want to say thank you because you're saving me uh, an appointment at, at my therapist's office, because if you can diagnose me and help me become a better version of me by the end of today's interview, then send me a bill. I, I would gladly accept your counsel. <laughs> that's the goal. That's the, that's the goal with all these interviews. So good. Dallas Jenkins, it's an honor to be talking to you for real. I mean, thank you for joining me. I've actually been looking forward to this. I listened to the one that you did with my dad and it was, you it did. Was, yeah. It was really enjoyable. And, um, I thought I, the, the only time I've ever actually met you is at the Caleb fan awards this year. And uh, one of the things my wife and I said to each other quite early on in the awards program, because I was expecting, I hadn't actually been to one of those before, and uh, I, I wasn't expecting much. And you, you're fantastic. Like, you're just so watchable and listenable and funny and legit funny and uh, entertaining and all of the above. It's, it was a cornucopia of delights. So I, <laughs> uh, I just want to commend you on that. So I, I was actually looking forward to this. I've, I just got literally... For, I've just been driving four hours from another part of Texas from a speaking engagement I had. I had to hustle home, get home, get here to do this. And I was like, this is actually something good to come come home to. I'm, I'm, I was looking forward to it. So it's all downhill from here, I'm sure, but I was looking forward to it. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I just want you to know, if you hear any typing right now, it's my publicist in the background adding cornucopia of delight to my bio. Uh, and is that okay if we quote you on that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, don't you think it applies though? Like, like the holiday you... season. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I think that's great. I do remember getting to meet you backstage. And of course, everybody was so excited backstage at the K-Love Fan Awards, not just to meet the artists, but to meet the creators and the visionary that is you of this amazing series, The Chosen, that has impacted millions upon millions of people I mean, and it's a music award show but they also give out a film and a book and things like that but i watched the excitement backstage around whether it was the chance to shake hands with you and thank you for the work that you've done or jonathan rumi uh you know you had your your people there and it was a really special thing and so i'm so glad that you got to hear a little bit of the interview i did with your dad because that was one of the things i was going to reference in uh in talking to you today your dad in case you didn't know this he's just a little bit just a little proud of you, just a little, <laughs> a little bit. And of course, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm being sarcastic. He is so proud of the work that you've done. And he was kind of joking about how now he gets to kind of ride on your coattails. And we talked about the novelization that he's worked on with each uh, season of The Chosen. I, I want to start by just asking you a little bit of your roots. Now, for those who are listening to this podcast that didn't get to hear the episode uh, where I interviewed your dad. I mean, your dad is a best-selling author, if there ever was one. I accused him of being on the uh, EPA's uh, most wanted list for the amount of trees that have had to be yeah, sacrificed funny, yeah. for his books. But, um, you know, an amazing storyteller and writer. Talk about the experience growing up in a home where your dad is is a creative mind, a storyteller, a visionary, and a writer. 
And how has that maybe shaped the storyteller and visionary that you are now in in film form? Yeah, I mean, growing up, my dad was not only you know, a, an author whose books that I read and enjoyed, but he was a storyteller just in general. I mean, just he, he was always the funniest guy in the room. Every time people were over at our house, you know, when the adults are downstairs and they're having a meeting or whatever, or gathering or small group outing, uh, and, and the kids are upstairs, all, all we would hear every few minutes was laughter. And, and I, it was always something my dad had said. And so uh, humor has always been an extraordinarily important part of my life. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a very important part of the chosen. Um, I, uh, storytelling has just always been part of my DNA, um, both inside and outside. It's just, it's just, I've just been immersed in it. Now, what's interesting is I grew up wanting to be a sports broadcaster or an athlete of some kind. I was obsessed with sports and I got that from my dad for sure. And I, I never, I mean, I was a writer in the sense that I, I, I could write just because of course I'm, I'm my dad's son and, but it was in high school, like late, like late middle school, early high school, and my dad sat me down and kind of started introducing me to great films. Um, and he was like, because I had grown up in a very, it was a very conservative environment. Like I was very protected by my parents from media for the most part. But then he was like, all right, you're old enough now. It's time for you to know that I'm a movie buff and I don't talk about it much because I'm at, you know, Moody Bubble Institute and I, you know, I, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't publicize all, you know, my, my movie obsessions, but let's, let's get going here. And he started me right off the bat with movies like The Godfather and uh, Kramer versus Kramer, Bullet, Bonnie and Clyde, all these just classics. And, uh, and then I saw this movie, One Floor Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, the Jack Nicholson uh, movie back in the 70s, and that changed everything. I mean, I when I saw that movie, I pointed at the screen. There's this amazing scene where Jack Nicholson, and this is one of the reasons why I probably resonated with it was because of, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster, but he's denied the opportunity to watch the World Series at this mental institution because it goes off the schedule. And so he's so upset about it, he goes to the TV and starts broadcasting his own made-up version of the game. And all the other inmates start walking over and and cheering and celebrating with what he's doing. And I was just, I was, I was, I was soaring. I mean, I just was completely taken away. And I thought, whatever that is, I want to do that. Not only was I motivated just by the desire to to come up with a scene that impactful, but I remember thinking that young. So there's n so little in the Christian space that is this good. I mean, there, I couldn't think of anything. And I've grown up loving. And now I love movies and TV, but there's nothing for me that represents my faith. If I could somehow arouse in an audience the kind of reaction that this is doing for me, but from a faith perspective, like from a, you know, and actually have good news beyond just emotional uh, uh, victory, that could really be impactful. Even at a young age, you were thinking about, you were seeing your passions or the the birthing of your passion through the lens of your faith, even at a young age? Like, how old were you when you were having that kind of thought and that interaction with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Yeah, that was probably 15 years old, 14, 15 years old. Um, and yeah, I think it was, it was a response to lack, meaning, you know, growing up in the church and be, being very much a, a church kid, I, I grew up in Awana. I mean, I was, I was a happy member of the conservative Christian world, you know, um, and I, I still am, but I, at the time there was just so little, even musically, there was great music out there. It was just all typically in one genre. And typically the word gaper was in that, you know, in, in, in the liner yeah. notes. 
Um, and I love the Gaithers and I love Sandy Patty and Larnell Harris and Steve Green and all that. I, it was what I grew up in, but that, that, it was that genre. And, and there was so little outside of that, that both musically and in, in the film or television world that I could watch and go, this is just as good as the stuff that I watch normal. On that note, what was a faith-based movie that sticks out in your memory from youth growing up? Because it sounds like, so you're a Chicago kid, right? Yeah. And I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago too, which is why one of the reasons I was freaking about interviewing your dad was he wrote the biography of Walter Payton, right? Which was, I thought it was such a cool thing. So I grew up in Chicago. You grew up in Chicago. We're both growing up church kids. Okay. I have a movie in mind and I'll tell you, I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours, but mine was, um, a thief in the night. Yeah. 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 Do you remember that movie, a thief in the night? Yep. Of course. Well, of course, if you were a Christian kid, around that age, everyone, it was required viewing. It was, it was dropped off on your front door. Like, a yes. <laughs> and I, I, I thought the rapture had taken place every day when I came home from school. If, if I couldn't hear my mom's voice right away, I got saved so many times from that movie, a thief in the night. But was there a movie like that, that sticks out to you that where you were like, where the lack was, ex I, and not to, not to poke fun at it, but where you just kind of saw it and you're like, what is this? And I could do better if given the chance. <laughs> Well, when you're young, you're not necessarily noticing whether something's good or bad. Right. It's it's just even the fact that it exists is a, is a victory, and and there was just so little that existed. So we went out. I remember growing up, uh, relatively young. I saw a Billy Graham movie, like he had done some kind of PG thirteen movie um, that I'm blanking on the name of it, and and so we went as a you know as a youth group to go see it and. And uh, I, I remember very little about it, only that it was a little bit rougher than I expected for a Billy Graham movie, which I think looking back was actually a good thing. But um, yeah, there was always these little like church, we call them church basement movies, but kind of things that you'd, you'd watch as a youth group. I know exactly what at you're church. talking about. And, yeah. and, and I just remember that, you know, there was a lesson and there was, um, I remember I saw a short film um, where people are going to, they die, they got, they died in a car crash. These, the group of teenage kids died in a car crash and they, they get to some, I'm not going to call it heaven because it was a, it was like a, like a lobby where you, where you're just, it's decided whether you go to heaven or hell and they would go step to the left, please, or step to the right, please. And uh, I'm sure they were good conservatives. Stepping to the left meant you were going to hell and stepping to the yeah. right meant you were going to heaven. Yeah. I have just guessing, but, but I just, I remember things like that, like these 20 yeah. minute short films and stuff. I totally, and, yeah. Yeah. It was just, Crossing it was just the so switchblade. Remember yeah, that one? Yeah, of course. Now, The Hiding Place was, I remember, a good one and um, a really good movie. I mean, I think that even won an Academy Award, but that was one that Christians really globbed on to because it was, you know, that and Chariots of Fire. Anytime oh, there was yeah, a mainstream yeah. movie that had any kind of faith in it, it was like, ooh, let's get behind this. So stuff like that, but it was so rare. And uh, so it really, at that age, I wasn't necessarily thinking the Christian stuff is so bad. It was like, there's just, there's just none of it. And I remember, so that was a key moment in my life. And then when I was in college and I heard Jars of Clay's first album, and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, there's a, there's an album that isn't just a Christian version of something better, but that it's actually like on its own legit good. And all my artsy fartsy musician friends were all into it. And I remember she went and saw them. They opened for Smitty and, uh, uh, on his, uh, I remember which tour it was, but they opened and there was half the crowd was there just to see them because they were, they had just exploded. And I remember thinking, you know, it's just music. It was like a, it was a life changing moment for me as a believer and as a storyteller and as an artist going, okay, it's possible 
to do it and to be explicitly Christian, but still legit good. That's what kind of helped refine my focus and going, it's really, it's really possible. And that's, what's so great about the fact Dan Hasseltine is a lead singer. Jars is a close friend of mine and is one of the composers of the score of the chosen. Okay. So that explains it. So that was a real cataclysmic. That was a moment for you. That was a catalyst. Absolutely. I still, I, I tell them that I've told them that before. I remember my wife and I talked about like putting certain posters on my wall to inspire me. And one of them was a jars of clay poster, even though it was music, it was just such a, it was just such a game changer for, for the possibilities that Christian art can that wasn't that's not to say there wasn't good Christian art. It was just that it could be it could be just it could be out there like anything else and be taken seriously. So was that a deliberate move years later when you're creating the chosen and you wanted to and you began to address the musical component and contribution to what the chosen was going to become that you sought out Dan or how did that relationship come about? I met Dan at a, at a like a Christian, you know, conference 20 plus years ago. And just, and I went up, I would, I stood in line to, you know, get him to sign something. And I just told him we had a mutual friend. So I referenced that and, and just told him, you, you know, your, your work has changed my life. And, and, uh, and that, but his wife happened to be there and she was talking to my wife. And so then we just became friends. And so, uh, he scored the music for the very first movie I ever made when I was 25 years old. Um, this high school football film called hometown legend and, uh, jars was, was probably on their second or third album at the time. And he and I had been friends and I was like, you should do the music for this. And, and it was brilliant. The score of that movie uh, was brilliant. And, uh, and then he hasn't done it since until the chosen, I went to him and I said, uh, there's a small handful of people, less than five people who I just don't believe I'll do this show without. And you're one of them. I, this show has to be disruptive and different and there has to be no rules. And the first indication of that needs to be the music. You're the guy you have to do the music. And, and, uh, it worked. So uh, he's he's doing the music along with his co-composer, Matt Nelson, and, and it's the score of The Chosen is unabashedly brilliant. It's unbelievable. It's that is such a cool through line. And to get to hear that part of it is is really cool. Before we get too far ahead into The Chosen, I want to I, I love the words you just said about being disruptive because and I want to get to that in just a second. But real quick, before we move too far, when you're 15 and you're you're watching One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but you're you're already thinking about like, why couldn't I do something like that? But with a message of faith, that tells me that you had already um, made a commitment to Christ in your, in your life. And one of the questions I ask every guest and, and your dad's answer was one of my favorites, by the way, because all these years later, when I asked him to share about a moment when his faith became real to him, he started crying as he shared. And I was moved by it. And I love asking this question. I ask it in the form of what's your blue couch story. And the reason why I say it that way is because I was on a blue couch in the Chicago suburb childhood home that I grew up in, turning on the television and accidentally stumbling across a Billy Graham crusade, Dallas. And I asked Jesus into my heart watching Billy Graham. Several years later, I got to tell him how he impacted my life. Of course, as a preacher's kid, I always joke with my dad that I heard his sermons a thousand times, but it took Billy Graham to make it stick. So before we get to hear more about The Chosen and this really special Christmas special that is, I mean, what you're doing is now you're helping so many people find their own blue couch moments and have a moment where their faith becomes real to them. What was that for you? I don't remember that moment when I was a, a little kid where, you know, I prayed to accept Jesus as my savior, you know, that, that happened, you know, I think I was probably five or six and I don't have a specific memory of that. Um, and I remember growing up just in the church and doing a wana and, and listen to the Christian music, all that stuff. And 
faithful. But it was when I was in high school, I was at a Christian youth conference, and I remember the speaker it was named Bob Laurent. Um, he's a guy who speaks at lots of youth conferences and stuff, and um, he just really challenged us to to just get serious and and asked a question that I think is whenever this question is asked, it always really pierces people, but just, you know, what is that thing in your life that's holding you back from a full embrace, a full surrender? And so I was thinking through that. I just remembered thinking I just wasn't truly surrendered and wasn't, you know, I I kind of was still kind of controlling my life. And I remember there was a kid in front of me who I thought was kind of the cool hipster skeptical kid. And he, and he, oh, instead of having a stand up, you know how they always say, if you want to accept Christ, or if you want to rededicate your life, stand up, we were already standing. And he said, if you want to do that, kneel down. Which I actually still to this day think is like a much cooler way of, of doing it. And the kid in front of me kneeled down. And, oh, I guess I'm like my dad because I'm getting emotional thinking about it too. But he, he kneeled down and I was like, that kid kneeled down? Like that the skeptical kid, the one who's like too cool? And I just like dropped. I mean, it was like, it was like, I wasn't in control of it. I just dropped to my knees and just started sobbing. And, uh, and my, of course, my youth pastor who I was one of the leaders. I mean, I was one of the kids you kind of mentored other kids. And so I think he, I think he had the the presence of mind to know what was happening, to know that like, okay, when one of the leaders is actually having a moment, this is like, he just helped left over the, the, the row and like got right down next to me, put his arm around me and was like, you know, just there and saying, all right, let's get serious. Let's do this. And so it was, I think that was the moment when, when I really shifted gears. And then of course there's moments throughout my life that, where you get broken. But I think that was for sure the, I was one way and now I'm completely different. You know, if you're a Christian for any amount of time, there's those, there's those times where remember there was a a singer back in the day named Keith green and he had this song, you know, asleep in the night. Right. And he was, and he talked about just basically when your faith falls asleep, you know, and one of his lines was Jesus rose from the dead and you can't even get out of bed. And I remember going, and I just, that always convicted me like crazy. But, um, you know, I think one of the reasons why I love asking that question of, of people like yourself is because I think someone listening to this, people can just think, Oh, guys like Dallas, their faith is always on fire. Their faith never falls asleep or, you know what I mean? Like we, we might be creating these songs or you're creating these amazing uh, depictions of scripture. And, and yet at the same time, we're just as susceptible as anybody else. Every single one of us, the, the enemy wants to lull us asleep in our faith. And that's why I think it's so important what you're doing with the chosen, because I feel like what it's doing for many people who've never had a blue couch moment, never maybe they're making a first time commitment to Christ, but you're also stirring something in people through every single episode of every season that I feel like is it's a wake up call for us to see scripture in a new light and to have a new blue couch moment and and return to our first love and realize these are not just far off characters. These are not just disconnected pages of a scripture that we're supposed to read. This is, the word is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's designed to give us a wake-up call. So to hear about some wake-up calls in your life and now the passion that you have creating the chosen, it's given a wake-up call and inviting people to come awake to the invitation that God offers to each one of us to be real to us and to show us his plan for us. I'm curious, what does it feel like to you today from humble beginnings of a crowdfunded 
The Chosen to know that as of this moment, as I look at The Chosen app, 303 seven i don't even know how to read the number it's so big 303 uh, million seven hundred fifty three thousand four hundred and eight correction 10 correction 11 12 the number keeps moving tell me what it means to you when you see that number or hear that number read to you to know that the episodes of the chosen have been viewed that many time by times by people around the world how does that hit you right in this moment well, it's extraordinarily humbling for sure. Uh, it has the opposite effect of what some people ask, like, "Oh, are you, you know, are you getting a big head?" Or, uh, you know, or this has to feel pretty good to be recognized in public or whatever. And it's a very, very easy to remember truth that got me here, which was, you know, out of my biggest failure. I mean, my biggest career failure is what got me here, and um, and and that posture that I, that I found myself in of being genuinely okay with never making another movie as long as I was in God's will and genuinely getting rid of all of my expectations and all of my desires for affirmation and all of my desire for achievement and success all went away. So it, it had been a, a key part of my entire personality for as long as I could remember it was wanting affirmation and wanting success. And even in just interactions, you know, I was, I was really good at humble bragging, uh, but in a really subtle way that it didn't even feel like uh, a brag. And uh, God took all of that away from me. So I got to a place when The Chosen started, which was, as you said, extraordinarily humble beginnings. I mean, there was two of us, and we started a, fa a Facebook page of our friends and family and then put my little short film that I made for my church's Christmas Eve service on my friend's farm in Illinois, 20 minutes from my house, put that on Facebook and said, we're, you know, if you want to invest in a multi-season show about Jesus, uh, here's how you do it. And uh, I had that extraordinarily surrendered posture and it was real. I genuinely didn't have expectations. So when I see the number, this is a long answer to your question, but it's important, I think, to be reminded of, is when I see the number, I'm not shocked, but I would not have been shocked if the number was less than 100. Um, I genuinely didn't have expectations. I genuinely got to this place where my job is solely to provide the five loaves and two fish. And if God chooses to multiply it and and feed 5,000 or how, you know whatever the number is, that's really up to him. The transaction is over once I you know, humbly submitted this project. And um, shame on me if I ever forget that. So the 300 million views and, and all that's happening with The Chosen, it's it's really cool and I love, love, love hearing stories of impact and people's lives being impacted or changed by it. But the numbers, the achievements or awards or whatever, it genuinely, I, I mean, it, it's, it's not a platitude. I genuinely, it's not the motivation, nor is it to avoid hate comments. I mean, every single day I'm told by someone publicly or they publicly make a video or comment that I'm evil. And you went through this not too long yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, yes, I and I, I, I watched it with interest because I thought, yeah, I'm there right now. Every single day, someone's telling yeah. you you're evil or horrible or blasphemous or dangerous or whatever. And when you get to a place where you're not motivated to avoid that or motivated to get the praise, it is a superpower. And so the number is really just a number. It's 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 a it's a fun thing for the fans to get behind and and it represents 
something that we as a team are, are, are doing is, you know, we want more, we want a billion people. That's kind of the stated goal, which is not up to us, but we want a billion people to, to know the authentic Jesus. But I'm trying not to give a cop-out answer, but it's really just not, it's not what's motivating. All right, you guys know that I love my dogs, Nick and Rocky, and I want them to eat healthy so they can uh, have energy and live a long, healthy life. And I have discovered Sundays, and my dogs are so happy about it. They love it. Sundays is healthy dog food that's actually easy to store and serve, and it makes me feel good to be feeding my dogs this healthy dog food from Sundays. Sundays is air-dried dog food made from a short list of human-grade ingredients. It was founded, co-founded by Dr. Tori, a practicing vet, Sundays contains 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and 0% synthetic nutrients. That's right, 0% synthetic nutrients. Besides USDA beef and all-natural chicken, you're going to find digestive aids like pumpkin and ginger, plus disease-fighting antioxidants. Dog parents report noticeable health improvements in their pups, including softer fur, fresher breath, more energy, and the list goes on. And I've noticed that in my dogs as well. Unlike other fresh dog foods, Sundays is zero prep, zero mess, and zero stress. Sundays is shelf-stable, which makes it easy to feed your pup top-quality food. Every order ships right to your door, so you'll never worry about running out of dog food again. It's also affordable. Sundays cost 40% less than other healthy dog food brands because Sundays doesn't waste money shipping frozen packages. Instead, they spend on what matters, sourcing the best all-natural ingredients for your pup. We worked out a special deal for our dog-loving listeners of the podcast. Get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash west or use code west at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S dot com forward slash west upgrade your pup to sundays and feel good about the food you feed your dog isn't it crazy dallas like when you think about how many how many times god has worked in miraculous ways but what happened at what happened first, it had to be, it was like, it was born of failure. Yeah. Like, and even when I talked to your dad, like there, there's a through line there. And he even mentioned a little bit about your story of just, and it's just, I think about it in my own life. It's like, what is the outcome when failure occurs? And like you said, like we get leveled, our expectations get leveled. Our, for me, it was throat surgery too, of, of like going, okay, all right. I'm, I'm literally, unable to use my voice the way that I want to, I begin to hold on loosely to these things that I was once aspiring to. And then I was living and dying by the success or the failure. Yeah. Can, and, can you, in that moment, like when you, when you're having throat surgery and you're faced with the notion that it's possible that I will never sing again, or it's like, can I praise God in that? Am I okay with that? I mean, without God, it's impossible, but even with God, it's like a Herculean task to get to that place. Um, and if you can, with God's help, if you can, uh, it's extraordinarily, it's, I'm sorry, I think I'm going to cut you off, but, but no, no, you're exactly right. I just, I was thinking of, you know, we focus on Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right. But right before it, Paul's beginning to talk about in any, in every circumstance, in any, and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want learning. And basically what he's saying is like, 
don't hold on too tightly to these things. You can make, you know, but the, the freedom that comes, that's the opportunities that open up for you that are born of failure when you begin to realize whether this next thing succeeds or fails, it is not going to be because of me. It will not see, succeed because I was good enough, because I was enough. And therefore, we can't rest our validation on the success or, or failure of the things that the Lord moves us to create. What would you say is your biggest, the song or the album that, kind of blew up the most that exceeded the label's expectations or whatever? Like, what would that be for you? The first thing that came to mind for me was my very first radio single was the most played song of the year that year. And you want to talk about a way of coming out of the gates where it was a nine-week number one song, and then everything after that felt like a failure. Yeah, well, you know, I, I can imagine. So yeah, you had a almost the opposite experience with me, but um, <laughs> of course, you've had you've had your share of uh, of, of big hits, of course. Uh, but it was just like this moment where you're just all of a sudden the standard was set, and then then the very and I, you know what, the Lord's given me the opportunity to do since I've been able to talk with so many other young artists who maybe have a big hit, and then they're scared. To, the pressure doesn't go away when you have a big hit. I wonder if you could say the same when it comes to the chosen. When season one blew up the way it did, <laughs> you know, I mean, you've already said how the pressure's sort of been dispersed because you had to let go of it. But there's got to be those moments where pressure returns, and because of the success of something, you got a lot more eyes on you. Well, yes, for sure. But I, the reason I asked that question was because I'm I'm wondering in your life when when that happens, when there's clearly a song that just has a life of its own, and it's it's clear that it was anointed, you know, I mean, the, oh yeah, yeah. the hope would be, because this is what's happened with me with The Chosen, it's a reminder that you're not good enough to do that. Like, so when I see 300 million that's, views, yeah. I go, I go, well, that's, that's just such an easy reminder that, that I'm not this good because I, like, I, I think I'm a good filmmaker and I worked, I've worked really hard to get to this spot to be ready to, to deliver a good show, but I'm not that good. Like I'm not, it's just such an easy place to be in because you're like 300 million views and all you the things that are so going right. on. Like, you're this is so just right, man. So, I'm just wondering if that happens for you too sometimes where you go, Oh, this song, when I wrote it, it felt good, but but I didn't. I'm, I'm good, but I'm not this good. I feel like that every song, but I will say this uh, there's a song that I have out called Truth Be Told that taught me and continues to teach me a lesson. And I think it's one that you're living by. It's, you know, when you're baking cookies, you follow the recipe. And the cookies should turn out the way the back of the box says they will. You know, when it comes to uh, matters of the heart, when it comes to uh, following your calling for God, when it comes to the creative endeavors as well, you know, it's not about in, in Christian music, too. And in any film, I would imagine there's like, you know, you could follow a certain formula that should work. But there's been songs that have shaken me up and helped me come awake or, or, or wake up to the thought of, the recipe is authenticity. The recipe is honesty. The recipe is transparency. And so like a song like Truth Be Told was like, I was like, that song's not, I don't think that song's a hit. I know, I think I know what a radio hit is. That's not a hit. It just feels honest. Well, guess what? The song goes out on the radio. And because I felt like I was being the most honest version of me, that's what people want. And I feel like back to the word you used with the chosen, disruptive, Honesty is disruptive and following your passion for the type of um, depiction of scripture that you wanted to create. I noticed something, I think you posted it today, but it was an older video of you having to sort of re-explain <laughs> the, 
the uh, the heartbeat of the chosen. You had to you were explaining your spiritual background, your Bible major, and because, like you mentioned, and you you mentioned criticism I've had cr- compared it to criticism you've had, and how we handle that criticism. You know, I'm sometimes I mishandle it and don't know how to. We're all human, and there's going to be days where we succeed and and fail. But you've had a ton of criticism come at you as you've created the chosen and you've had to explain yourself, but you've also carried a a pretty awesome sense of humor around with it. And to follow the chosen on Instagram is a delight. It's a cornucopia of humorous delight when people claim that there's uh, uh, you know, the mark of the beast in the, in the cloaks that, and anyways, but, but speak to that, like, you know, you're honest, but you're being disruptive and it's met with some criticism from people that just don't seem to understand the vision. Talk about how you've had to handle that. So there's two types of, of criticism that we address. So one is the type of criticism that I'm addressing in that video that you saw was actually done over a year ago. Uh, we just put it out every couple months just as a reminder, because there's there's new viewers. It's not as much a response to something as it is almost kind of preventative maintenance, but it's it's to the, what I consider to be sincere criticism, meaning people who haven't watched the show yet because they're concerned that it's not going to be faithful to scripture, people who haven't watched the show yet because they think it's not going to be any good, people who uh, wonder where I stand on issues because they know that there's LDS folks, Catholic folks, agnostics, atheists involved in the show, and they've heard the rumors that we filmed on a on a set built by the LDS church in Utah. And so, so they're like, okay, is, is this even... Like, is this being influenced? We, we have Bible roundtables with a Catholic priest and a Messianic Jewish rabbi and an evangelical scholar. And they're like, well, what does that mean? Does that mean you're, they're, they're, they're telling you what to do? Or, all right, so I'm going to watch the first season. I'm into it. I'm going to pay it forward. Or I'm going to support the show in some way. And what am I, like, can I trust you? Like, because I've been burned before. So that, that video is a, res- I don't even know if I would use the word response because I knew when I made the video, it's not like we'd start to get in huge criticism yet. I just knew it was coming. So, the video was a, here's for those friends of yours who genuinely have a concern, rightfully so, because they're just not sure, they just don't want to be burned. Um, and the, the show is crowdfunded, and the show is free. You only have to pay for it if you want to. And so if you're going to pay for it, you're supporting future episodes and seasons. You want to have some idea of of who is behind this. So that was just me saying, here's who I am, here's my faith background, here's who we're working with, and here's why, and all that stuff. Then there's the other kind of criticism, which I don't take seriously, um, which is like when we post a meme saying happy Halloween and we're told, I can't believe a show about Jesus celebrates Satan. And I can't yes. believe, um, you guys are honoring evil. And now, of course, I can never watch the show again. Yes, um, yes, yes. So that just becomes funny. Like I don't <laughs> like, um, or, and it comes at me too. We post, you know, comments where they say, people say things like, like there's something off about Dallas and I don't know what it is, but he's got a spirit of unrighteousness in him. And I think he's prideful and, and they yes. start listing all these things about me. And, and I'm like, Oh, we got to post that one. That's just really good. So are you behind those responses? Is that you Dallas? Yeah. I, I here's, here's you, what I have you plead say. the fifth. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, uh, no, I, I, cause I don't want to ever throw my team under the bus. This is what's so funny about it. People will say the admin for this social media account needs to be fired or I wish Dallas would know what the social media team is saying and how they're responding with such snark or with such sarcasm. And, and the whole team just laughs because I'm like, uh, I wrote every caption for these posts 
and I've told the team like, yeah, how to respond. Like I just clicked on one and it was, it's a picture of uh, Jesus. And then there's a text thread, which just even seeing that is hilarious. The juxtaposition of, uh, but it says, I think you are trying to do something for Christianity. And then the chosen's response, we are a series about the life of Christ, period. As a suggestion, can you do something for irreligious people who are living in Europe countries? <laughs> <laughs> and then the caption for uh the the post says we think we are hashtag chosen feedback it's just so dry and i i just i love it and i love that you, when you share somebody's feedback don't you find that your biggest supporters kind of handle it for you in a weird way yeah so that happens that for sure happens but we are doing a couple things with this and i think this is really important and i think it actually you know, not to not to bring it back to to what you experienced earlier this year with your song, but I think I, I do think it's relevant in that um, there's like what I said, there's sincere criticism, which I think demands, or at least should should reasonably expect a response from a Matthew West or a Dallas Jenkins or someone who's responsible for chatter, responsible for something that's causing people to talk and be confused yes, and wonder right. where you're coming from. So that's I'm like, right. all right, here's where I'm coming from. I think that's fair. But then there's a couple of things we're really trying to do with this. And just even today, um, I'll, I'll just make this really quick, but today we, we did a post um, of, there's a, a scene from season two, uh, episode four. It's one of the most impactful scenes in the show, which is where the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. And he, he Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he, and he, and at some point he lifts him up and he's healed. And, and there's this image of, of, of the man, the actor um, played named Dennis, who's phenomenal. And he's got this desperate, desperate look on his face. And um, we, we, we had a picture of, it, of, of this desperate look on his face. And so this, this idea was actually my, my team's. Um, they just put it up as a meme and it says, I don't remember the exact words, but it's like, uh, please, there's no one to, there's no one to help me get my pumpkin spice latte, Some, <laughs> something like that. And um, the caption is, you only need me, you know, Jesus. Um, oh, and so most people loved it and they were laughing, but there's people who were like, how dare you mock the God, the word of God? How dare you mock this scene that was so impactful to me? And so we are doing something on purpose with these memes and with these responses and posting the negative comments is number one, we are showing people that we don't take ourselves too seriously. We take God seriously, we take the Bible seriously, but we are a TV show. And if you are watching the show and we make a joke about it and that offends you, or we show you a picture of the actors on, on set and we make like a Star Wars reference and because they look like they were in a, and that offends you because you think it's like offending Jesus, you've turned the show into an idol. And the show is now put on the same level as the word of God and Jonathan Rumi becomes Jesus to you and I become God to you and the show becomes a Bible. And that is not where we are and that is not where you should be. So that's really important. And so sometimes the mockery and the self-deprecation is part of that narrative that we are trying to make very clear. But also, I really believe, Matthew, and, and, and uh, I mean, gosh, you've experienced this as much as anybody, but social media has not only become a place where celebrities can get attacked from the safety of someone's own home. But we ourselves as normal citizens have such as, as, as much of a sensitivity problem as we do a negativity problem. Meaning, in fact, I think the sensitivity problem is much worse than the negativity problem because if today we all decided to not be so sensitive and to not be, take such offense, the problems would go away. Whereas negativity will always be there. So yeah. wow. we are trying to set an example to our fans, to other people on social media of 
you need to not care when a stranger says something irrational or untruthful or hysterical about you. You need to not care. You need to care about what someone else thinks of you. And of course, we know who that is. But you have to get to a place where a comment on social media doesn't change your whole day and doesn't impact your self-worth. I have I have teenage girls who, who've, who've struggled with like immense issues and 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 not not clinically or anything, but like with with trying to navigate through TikTok and Instagram and and where their worth comes from. And it's one of the things I loved about your song so much. Um, and so when it got criticized, I was so like passionately defensive of it because of where people were finding their worth. But my my point is this: that if we're not offended when someone attacks our show, and I don't take it personally when some stranger tells me I'm literally an evil, despicable liar or whatever it is, then neither should you be. And if we can take it, you can take it. And let's let's start to set an example for how we not only avoid negativity on social media, but avoid sensitivity on social media and find our worth in the right thing. It's really cool to hear about like that there is a method behind the uh, the Instagram sarcasm, if you will, because I just laughed when I would see these these posts like you just said about the pumpkin spice latte but the fact that you're really you really are calling for people to hey you know not lighten up or don't make this your idol if you will yeah and for sure entertainment and is part of it too we're trying to be funny we're trying to be entertaining sometimes we are a show and so our social media um consists of you know four to five six posts a day across multiple platforms and a lot of them are spiritually enriching a lot of them are intended to be take you behind the scenes and see inside the show but some of them are meant purely to just be entertaining. Um, but there is, like you said, a method to the madness, um, especially because some of the entertaining stuff um, is intended to, to, to remind people we are just a show and that we are not going to be perfect. Um, and you need to know that. And if, and, if a, and if a meme about Halloween or a meme of a behind the scenes joke or whatever is enough to get you to stop watching the only show about Jesus that's literally ever existed and the only show currently that's on all, all these platforms and whatnot that that really is is honoring to, to God. If that's enough, that, then, then it's probably best now that you kind of learn that and, and stop watching or, or whatever because th there's going to be a lot more of that to come where we're, I'm going to do or say something that's going to upset you. And uh, I'd rather, and I'm not even saying this with any kind of contention. It's just kind of like a Look, man, this is what we're doing, and we believe we're 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 right before God, and um, you're we'd love for you to be part of it, but we're not we're not motivated by trying to get more likes or trying to avoid thumbs down. It's ironic because we make what we make. I make my songs, you make your your show, and all the things that you do. We we do make it for an audience, but we're being what we're talking about is how we are being reminded who our real audience is. And you know, I think like the modest is hottest thing that you mentioned. It's like. For me, it was one of those deals where it really brought me back to that reminder. But I had the criticism was coming in two different forms, and it's the exact way that you described it earlier. You know, the type of criticism that did deserve a heartfelt response from me, and I did that. But then there was a lot of those where it was just, I'm writing you off, you're canceled. We want to cancel people. The sensitivity leads to canceling so quickly, and, and then you don't know how to handle those situations. But at the end of the day, it brought me back to the reality of who my real audience is real quick. If you don't mind me saying, if, if you would have like, like erased the song and said, I'm, I, I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry. Or if whenever, whenever someone, especially a Christian leader or an artist does something and then it gets criticism. And so then they pull it off or they, or they stop it. Then I'm kind of like, well, what did you not think about that before you did? Like, I thought I was hoping you were more 
like you believed in what you were doing or you were more like, and I know you were in a tough spot. You had to do certain things, but I was like, if you end up saying, I regret the song altogether and I'm going to eliminate it from the internet, I would have been like, boy, that's disappointing that you, I would have, I would have hoped that in the conceiving process of your music, that you are on the front end considering whether God is pleased or not. And if God is pleased, then who cares what some of the criticism is? So that's the key. Well, and that's the challenge. In that particular situation, not to get off topic on me, but I made this video that featured my family because it made my family laugh. But then the way I saw people were grossly distorting these images of my daughters, to be blunt with you, is what made me ultimately pull that video off. So then Christians came after me going, oh, you're a coward. You just caved to the woke mob and not maybe understanding. But you're right. And here's, I think, what's a great lesson is to go, I didn't know how to handle some of the criticism that was heartfelt where people were saying this song, Christians, Christian women were saying this song was a trigger for them that like triggered them in terms of some abuse that they suffered or manipulation that they suffered at the hands of a youth pastor. And I was like, I don't understand the jump here. And I didn't, some of the things I wouldn't have even thought to consider on the front end. I didn't, I felt like it was a God honoring song. I felt like it was lighthearted, good values, but I didn't know how to handle a lot of that criticism. And I, and I walk away from it going, Lord, thank you for the grace, for the reality that there are going to be times where even in a place of leadership, I'm not going to know, I might mishandle how to handle the criticism, how to handle, it was just one of those things where I look back on it and I'm like, man. I felt like overcome by criticism and it did bring me back to the re reminder of who my real audience is, but you don't always handle every situation the right way, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And, and you were in a very difficult spot, like you said, especially because it was your kids. But I think um, the key is, is like you even mentioned certain people feeling triggered and we, we experience that with the chosen often because we're showing things like demon possession or in the case of season two, Mary Magdalene having a relapse and, 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 and her being triggered and getting, going back towards alcoholism and um, some of the trauma that she'd faced. And you just have to remember that if, if you, if you literally, I don't mean you, Matthew, I just mean the proverbial you, but we just have to remember that everything that we portray that is authentic is going to have a triggering response from somebody. And, and sometimes that painful part of it is a exhibit A in the cost of sin. I mean, not, not on the part of the person being triggered, but I'm saying this is, this is what the world is. And this is the price of sin is that even when we're forgiven, the consequences of sin, not even our own sin sometimes, but other people's sin will reverberate forever. And this is why we need a savior. And so people being triggered is an opportunity for the church to step in. And it's so when I hear someone's triggered by a scene, that doesn't make me go, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it. Sometimes it's a, I get it. I get it. In fact, it's this is a portrayal of someone who's triggered. I get it. So please, please reach out to someone in your life who you trust because they can walk you through this because that's the gospel. I think that's awesome wisdom. And I wish I would have known you uh, when I was going through my ordeal because, but even hearing you share in that regard as it relates to what I went through earlier this year, because, you know, towards the end of every year, I think we, we all sit down and we take some inventory on the year that, because everything goes by so fast that sometimes we miss the opportunity to fully soak in what we've experienced, what happens to us along the way and what God might have wanted to show us if we hadn't learned it already. So even just what you're speaking into my situation, life went too fast and I moved past it so quickly that 
that really was like a traumatic kind of moment for me. And you're speaking straight to the heart of it and helping me have some perspective. I've also talked with a lot of comedians who reached out to me. Ironically, a crowd of comedians reached out to me and said, hey, we feel for you because this is not a time to be funny in our world. <laughs> so um, I thought that was strangely comforting. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of stand-up comedy. I'm a, comedy is a huge part of my life, big part of the show. I mentioned that earlier. And that's one of the things that I was, I felt bad in that situation. I wish I would have known you at the time because I want to just reach out and just, because well, I, I, I was thinking, I'm that, like, well, I, I wish I could reach out to him somehow and just tell him, look, this is like, get used to this. And and, and this doesn't mean you're doing something wrong, but, um, but yeah, it's because it was, it was a great song and it was, and it was very funny and we can't let this world get to a place where comedy is looked at as though it's real. And therefore, because the comedy is also real, then everything that you even satire is therefore upsetting and it's yeah so anyway i was with you i appreciate that i didn't expect this conversation to touch on that but I, i'm sure glad it did and you've been really encouraging to me before i let you go though so today it's december 1st dallas did you know that you have a special premiere taking place on this day it just so happens that this episode releasing on the very day of something big that's happening in theaters, and I can't wait to see it. Can you make sure our listeners know what's happening and where they need to go to find it? Yes. Funny you should ask, Matthew. What a lovely question. <laughs> what a coincidence. So, yeah, a couple months ago, uh, we decided to make a brand new chosen episode and not tell anybody. And uh, it was, we thought it would be a perfect way to kind of tide people over until season three. And also, quite frankly, I, I believed that I, I had something to say, or God had something to say about the birth of Christ that, I, that hadn't been said before in, in this way, at least. And we really wanted to do it. We did a, we did a Christmas special last year. Um, I'm realizing as I say that, I was about to make a joke like where we assembled the best and brightest of the Christian music space, but you were not in either one of these Christmas specials. So Hey, <laughs> hey man. None taken, I would say. I was like, no, I was gonna I was gonna joke and then I thought, oh, some people might be offended, but uh, you'll be in the you'll be in the third one. I'm I'm committing to that. Third now. time's the charm. I'll play modest is hottest at Christmas time. No, 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 no. I don't no, like offending okay. anybody. Okay, we'll move um, on. <laughs> yeah, no. So, so last year we did a Christmas special and, and we, it was really great and um, turned out better than we expected. And so this year we wanted to do another one. And I thought, boy, if we could have a new episode, this would also be an opportunity to, to be in theaters. And so Christmas with the Chosen um, is debuts today and uh, in theaters. And one of the cool things about it is when we announced that we had a brand new episode and we announced Christmas with the Chosen was going to be in theaters as a Fathom event, it was originally just going to be there at seven o'clock at night on December 1st and 2nd. And that night, um, when we did, when I did a live stream announcing the, the, the new episode and the, the special, they literally almost sold out of the across the entire country um, those two nights. And the theater chains all freaked out and so the next day immediately added eight more days and several screenings per day. Um, and it's just gone completely mental. And uh, so again, another great reminder of that God's just kind of doing something transcendent with this uh, that's way bigger and better than we are capable of. But yeah, so if, if you don't have tickets yet, then uh, they've added these screens. So just go, you know, look up the chosen uh, Christmas special. I'm not going to give you a website because you might forget it anyway. Just look up the Chosen Christmas special. You'll find it. Uh, look at your local theater. And then sometime over the next 10 days, there, there will be a, 
a screening and it'd be great to great for you to see it in theaters with other chosen fans yeah with amazing performances and i mean i this is awesome i'm so glad that it's getting blown up and it's more than just those two days so everybody listening make sure you go experience christmas with the chosen go download the chosen app too right yes and people have the chance to take part in funding season three and keeping this going strong i can't encourage people to do that enough if you've been ministered to by the chosen you can pay that forward so that's probably the best thing for people to do in terms of interaction is to download the chosen app as well right yeah so the chosen is very easy to find you just go to wherever you get your phone your your apps on your phone um it's called the chosen it's the perfect name for the app and you just go and you look it up and download it. And if you're thinking, I don't want to watch a show on my phone, I don't either. I get it. And the perfect thing is, is that the show connects free and easy to your streaming device. So whether it's Roku, Apple TV, Fire Stick, Chromecast, whatever, and it doesn't require a sign up, it doesn't require an email address, it doesn't require any money. I could go to your house and I could connect my phone to your Roku and you could be watching it in full you know, high definition, everything right away. It's really a cool opportunity and you don't have to pay a thing. And then if you love it, if you want to pay it forward and you want to keep going and be able to do future episodes and seasons, you can. I want to say other one other quick thing just about the, the Christmas special too. If you happen to already be a fan um, or if you happen to not have have watched it before. This is actually the kind of thing where you could watch it and you don't have to have seen the first two seasons to get it. Um, so there is an opportunity for you to bring friends who are on the fence about the show or bring friends who are fans of the musicians who are performing, but, but you, but you know, maybe haven't seen the show yet. This is a great opportunity for that. And it is a great lineup of recording artists joining you for this special Christmas with the Chosen in theaters everywhere. Don't miss it. Dallas, uh, I'm a huge fan. You're a master storyteller, a gifted visionary, and uh, disruptive in all the best ways. And I'm just like, I really feel like, and you're seeing it, you're right in the middle of it, or maybe on the front end, of course, but these moments, these things that happen in our society that that we've talked about it, that make a, make a lost and hurting world wake up to this bright light that is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And the chosen is doing that in, like, this is the thing. And it's so excited to see God move through the vision that he's put on your heart, born of failure. Let that be an inspiration to somebody listening today, right? Somebody else might be literally dealing with their most recent failure and wondering what good could be born of that. And what you've reminded us all today of is the beautiful things that are born of failure, because our God is ultimately the one who knows the plans that he has for us. And when we tap into his plans, doesn't matter how many failures we've experienced, we know that the best is yet to come. The chosen is living proof. Your story is living proof. And uh, I'm so glad that we got the chance to connect today. Oh, that's awesome, man. That was beautifully, beautifully said. Um, you should you should be a storyteller for a living. Well, he's a he's a cornucopia of delight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, no, thank you. It's such a pleasure, Matthew. Uh, really, I'm also a big fan of yours. And uh, and then uh, hopefully next Christmas with the chosen, we'll get a great Matthew West Christmas song. Hey, now it's time for songs from the Story House. Hey, today's song from the Story House. Even though we're past Father's Day, this was one song that I still wanted to highlight. Uh, last week, we were focusing on, of course, the song Before You Ask Her that I wrote for any boy who's going to knock on the door at the West House. But there's a song on the brand new album, right? The album before My Story, Your Glory. And it's a song that I actually wrote about my dad, and it's called Looking Up. I love this song so much, and I love that it actually ends. Well, you'll see. It ends with a prayer, and uh, there's a familiar voice that you're going to hear there. And uh, I don't know. This song just kind of 
gets to me. It reminds me of how blessed I am that God would give me the earthly father that he's given me, that I've looked up to him my whole life. But one of the reasons I look up to him the most is because while I'm looking up to him, I know that he's looking up to someone else for guidance and uh, wisdom. So basically, it's a tribute to a man who has spent his whole life keeping his eyes on Jesus and reminding me to do the same, not to try to lead my family or lead my life on my own. But, you know, when people are looking up to you, you got to make sure that you're looking up to the one who can make all things possible and who can show you which way to go, right? So I thought I'd share this song today. We're going to travel back to the brand new album. And today's song from the Story House is Looking Up. Daddy was a preacher, the man I wanted to be. No, he didn't wear a cape and he couldn't fly, but he was a hero to me. Believing heroes are human, but there's one thing I always knew. The whole time I was looking up to him, he was looking up to you. He's my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why we close out today's episode with his own segment called Dad Advice. Here's his theme song. He's my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why this segment is called Dad Advice. Dad, thanks for joining me today. Send us out with a dad joke and uh, hopefully uh, some devotional thoughts that are better than whatever dad joke you've got. <laughs> All right. That's what I'm going to do. Did you hear about the two antennas that got married? The ceremony, they said, was boring, but the reception was great. Wow. <laughs> Come on. Very good. It is wedding seasons. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Well, we're going to take some lyrics from your song, the title of the album, My Story, Your Glory, and we're going to talk about a fallen story. Here's what some of your lyrics said. The story of me was a story of shame, wrong turns written on every page. So many parts that were so messed up, but I love the part where you showed up, rewriting my past, rewriting my hurt, line by line, word by word, and now my story is living proof there's not a chapter that you can't use. I think the common uh, thing that people say about your songs, Matthew, is that they feel like they were written just for them. And this song here, uh, the story of shame, messing up, falling constantly. I don't know if you remember the old commercial of an elderly uh, lady laying down, uh, falling on the carpet <laughs> and said, uh, you I'm know, fallen and I can't get I'm up. fallen yeah. and I can't get up. And that is kind of humorous. 
but yet it's, it's really a story of life. I've fallen. And sometimes I've actually had people say, I fell so much that I put myself in a dark hole Mm. and I couldn't get myself out of it. So I've fallen and I can't get up. There are people that live life that way. They made choices and it's crippled them. They've fallen and they feel they can't get up. But in that commercial, there's that little button they push. If they push that, that would save them. And God gives us his promises to help us when we fall. There's two important things God wants us to know when we've fallen. One, take his hand and get back up. Dare to believe that his love for you does not disappear when you fall down. Psalm 37, 24, I love this. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Jeremiah 3, 22 says, Return, fallen people. I will heal you of backsliding, falling backwards. Yes, we will come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Another song that you wrote, Matthew, that was very powerful a few years back was called Only Grace. Mm -hmm. And uh, here are some of the lyrics of that. And there's only grace and there's only love. There's only mercy. And believe me, it's enough. Your sins are gone without a trace and there's nothing left now. There's only grace. And if you should fall again, get back up get back up, reach out and take my hand, get back up, get back up, get back up again. Oh, get back up again. So the message here is when we fall and take his hand and get back up. And then secondly, falls don't come without injuries. You may have been injured or you've hurt someone else. The good news is he will heal you. If scars remain, they are to remind you to not get that close to the edge next time. Also to remind you that his mercy, he picked you up and set your feet on solid ground. Now that's a story worth telling. Falls don't come without injuries, but there's a reason. Psalm 40, verse 1 through 3, listen to these verses. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, a horrible pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And I end with the advice for today. If you've fallen and can't get back up, look to Jesus. Take his outstretched hand and get back up. He'll set your feet on solid ground. If you've fallen and he's rescued you, tell your story so others will put their trust in Jesus. My story, your glory. That's good stuff. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Matthew. Hey, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me, my friends. Thanks to Dallas Jenkins. Of course, I'm looking forward to having him back on the podcast. And we'll talk about uh, the new things that are happening and new seasons of The Chosen. And be sure to check out the TV series, The Chosen, just an incredible work of art and uh, incredibly moving as well. Thanks to my dad, as always, for bringing some powerful dad advice. Thank you guys for all the support, all the love. Thanks for uh, all the support around Before You Ask Her during Father's Day. The song jumped up to number one on the Christian charts. Thanks to you guys. And uh, a special shout out to my daughter, Lulu West, for uh, knocking it out of the park with that duet. Um, I'm incredibly blessed. Remember, uh, the latest album, My Story, Your Glory, is out everywhere you listen to music. 22 songs. It's a double album. The first album, My Story. The second album, Your Glory, more of a worship album. 
Go check that out if you haven't listened to it. I, I encourage you, listen from top to bottom, all right? Don't just listen to the songs on the radio because these songs, uh, there's some powerful stories to be told that I think are going to encourage you. Uh, one last reminder, our ministry is called Pop We, P-O-P-W-E. At popwe.org, you can sign up to receive a free weekly email devotional called Day One Devos. I would love to include you on the list of thousands of people who are receiving these devotions every single week. Uh, would you go sign up today? I'd love to start sending this every Thursday. You're going to get one email from me, yours truly, and it's just going to be some scripture, some thoughts, some encouragement that it have brought me closer to God in my walk with the Lord, and I hope it will encourage you as well. You can also share your story at popwe.org, and I would love to encourage you to do that. I get to read those stories. We get to experience it, and if you want, we get to share that story with the world, and that's what it's about. It's your story for his glory. I'll see you next week. Seriously, I, I, I do.